We have seen as we've been studying the word together that there is a theme that's running from Genesis all the way through Revelation and it's God's story and it's his plan for redemption through his people and his family. And right this minute, we're living in the middle of Bible prophecy and it really seems to be converging and speeding up more and more every single day. Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the Bible says whoever touches the apple of his eye. So uh, you probably see this uh, scripture up here on the screen from Zechariah 2.8. After a period of glory, the Lord of heaven's army sent me against the nations who plundered you. And he said, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. And he calls Israel the apple of his eye. And so we tend to think of you know, um, that phrase like, you know, a nice rosy apple when we say the apple of my eye. I want you to look at the mirror and see your own eye and then look at the pupil and then the iris and then look at, you know, go and get an apple and then look at the apple on the bottom and you'll get the message. The apple of my eye is this. It's not what I see, but what I see with. It's the most tender and sensitive part, your eye. It feels the slightest injury. You know, think about when you get a little speck of dust or something in your eye, it, it feels it. You can't have anything on it. The living Bible translates it perfectly when it says, he who attacks you jabs his finger in God's eye. So to touch the Jews with your finger is to jab your finger in God's eye. Can you imagine how that feels? It's painful. And that's how God feels about his people. That's how he feels about what's going on right now. He is furious. He is furious. And the scriptures tell us that. And so think about what you do when you get something in your eye. You know, immediately your hand goes up to protect it. Immediately your hand responds and you rub your eye. What a picture of God's feelings. You know, when he says that you're the apple of my eye, it's not something he's holding just to look at and love. He's saying you're part of me, the most sensitive part of me. And he who touches you jabs their finger in my eye. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth, your glory for the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. This prophecy was given more than 2,000 years ago, and it has come into fruition in our lifetime when Israel became a nation, May 14th, 1948. You know, before that day, which was just 75 years ago, Israel had been a desolate wasteland for 2,000 years, just as God said that it would be. And the fact that Israel exists today it's absolutely a miracle of God, but it is evidence that every word of God will prove true. You know, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Elohim, our strong creator, is performing his word by the fact that Israel exists today. And so the prophet Jeremiah, he spoke for the Lord. And so here's what he said, for behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah. And remember, what, when he's saying Israel and Judah, it's because Israel was divided into the 10 tribes in the north, and then Benjamin and Judah were the other two tribes. And so they're referred to as Judah, and the lost 10 tribes that go out and assimilate into the nations, they're referred to as Israel. And so but a time is coming, he says, when I'll bring them back from captivity because they were scattered because of their disobedience. And he says, I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. And I will punish all who oppress them. If you love someone, you're jealous for them. You want them for yourself and you don't want anyone else to have them. Our God is a jealous God. He won't share his people with another and he won't share you with another. You know, if your life begins to be taken from God by relationships with someone else, God is jealous. God is jealous for Jerusalem. 
It's his city. How do you think he feels when someone else is in it other than his people? How do you think he feels when his city is trodden down by the Gentiles? How do you think he feels about his holy land when it's been attacked and is being drenched with the blood of his people? He's jealous for Judah and Jerusalem. And he's angry with the nations because although he's allowed them to be used to punish, their malice has gone far beyond anything that he ever intended. And what I'm referring to is, you know, God did use the nations to bring his judgment on Israel at a time. But scripture also says that in the future, that he would turn away from his wrath toward Israel and it would be a time to favor Zion. And we're living in those days today. The restoration, it's evidence that God is saying he's bringing them back because he's restoring them and it's all in his love and his favor and his goodness towards them. He says he will cause them to prosper even more than they did in ancient times, even more than before. And so anti-Semitism, which is really happening all over the world and it has been all through the ages, but that is born from wickedness in the human heart. And so God is going to judge the nations for the way that they've treated Israel. This is actually part, a huge part of the day of the Lord. This is what he's upset about. And he's bringing nations to the Valley of Jehoshaphat to judge them because of what they've done to his people. We just need to understand this because as Pastor Sylvia talks so often about the bigger picture, this is part of the bigger picture. And these things that we're seeing happen in the news we need to understand, you know, the beginning from the end. We need to understand the things that God, who is the ancient of days, who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, who's telling us what is to come. We need to listen to his words and believe him with the faith of Abraham, because that is what was accredited to Abraham as righteousness, that he believed God, not that he believed in God, but that he believed every word that God said. And so we need to believe these prophetic things that even when it looks like the enemies of Israel maybe are advancing and maybe there it looks like things are going really wrong for Israel, we still got to know Jerusalem has been established and it will not be taken. It will not. It will not. God has said it. He's defending it. He's watching over it. And so anyway, let's just continue in the scriptures. So he gave us even more details about what we could expect to see when he placed the people, his people, the Jewish people back into their land. He said this in Ezekiel 36, but you mountains of Israel will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. Now that is actually an important verse because remember it was a desolate wasteland. Nothing would grow there. It was like tumbleweed. And you can look up pictures of Israel just um, 200 years ago, even maybe 100 years ago. And you can see the pictures of its desolation. Nothing would grow there. It wouldn't even rain there. But he's saying, oh, mountains of Israel, you're going to produce branches and fruit for my people when they come home. He says, I, this is God speaking. I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown, and I will cause many people to live on you. Yes, all of Israel. The towns will be inhabited, and the ruins will be rebuilt. I will increase the number of people and animals living on you, and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He continues to do things over and over that he's already foretold for Israel and the nations, but he's using Israel to be an example to the nations so that we will all pay attention and know that he is God because he's telling us the beginning from the end and he's foretold these things through the prophets. This is what the Lord Almighty says, just as I had determined to bring disaster on you, and again, he's speaking of when they were disobedient over and over and over and over and over again, and he had such mercy on them. But finally, he's like, enough is enough. You are stiff necked people. And he gave them warning after warning and told them, if you are not going to obey me, then what you are going to bring the curses upon you instead of the blessing, and you will be kicked out of the land for a season. And that's what he did. And so this is what it's speaking of here in Zechariah. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. 
just as I had determined to bring disaster on you. And I showed you no pity when your ancestors angered me, says the Lord Almighty. So now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never sleeps or slumbers. The Lord is not asleep on the job because of what we're seeing in the news. He's not. It's hard to see, but these things even that are happening, they're actually already foretold in scripture as well. There are prophecies that say in the end of the ages when you know Israel is, is attacked, it says that a third of the city will be taken captive, that the women will be ravished, which means raped. It says that their houses will be plundered. These things were already foretold, but that doesn't mean all of Israel that that will happen to, because it also says that the righteous will be hidden in him, that God will protect. He says in Ezekiel 39, when I have brought them back from the nations and have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord, their God. For though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. This is an important scripture that we should all take to heart in a very meaningful way. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, Israel. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, Israel, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Hebrew word that is used here um, is pronounced kalah, which means to lightly esteem, to think of Israel like as insignificant or trivial. That word that's being used for curse, um, him who curses you. So uh, you might not think, you know, I, of course I don't, I wouldn't curse Israel. I mean, I don't, I don't even care about Israel, but that's the point. That's what the word means. It means that if you don't even care, you just think they're insignificant. You lightly esteem them. They're trivial. It's not a big deal. It doesn't affect you. He says, I will curse you who overlooks or lightly esteems Israel, but I will bless those who bless Israel. This is huge. It really is that this is a, there was a blessing and a curse attached to how we think about the people that God chose for himself. And we may not understand it. You might think, well, you know, why did God pick Israel? Why, why them? Well, one scripture tells us, it says he didn't, he says, Israel, I didn't do it for your sake. I didn't do it because you're so great. He said, I did it. And I'm, what I'm going to do for you is for my namesake. And he's meaning that because he made a promise, a covenant, an everlasting promise that he will not break because he will not violate his word because he's not a man that he should lie. He made a promise and a covenant with Abraham that this nation would belong to him and his offspring, to his descendants, and that it is the land of promise for his people. So he chose this people and he said, they're a peculiar, peculiar nation, a royal priesthood, but they're his. He chose a people that he could make an example of to the whole world. They would either be an example of the children of God receiving the blessings of God, or even they've been an example at times of receiving the curses of God. But we learn from this nation of Israel, but nonetheless, these are God's people. And frankly, you need to also hear and know that you, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a true follower of him in your heart, not just professing with your mouth, but believing in your heart and actually uh, producing fruit in keeping with repentance, if that's all true for you, then you are Israel. You are. And the reason that that, that is true is because the Bible tells us that if you, you have been adopted and we've been grafted into the original olive tree, which is Israel, when we are born again, that we've come into the family of God. And it even talks about our inheritance. And it says that when we receive the inheritance, we're actually receiving Israel's inheritance. But it says that the foreigners, that those that have been adopted and grafted in are going to receive the inheritance as if they were natural born citizens. When you're adopted into a family, you take the last name, you're part of the family, which means also you want to know what the family's like. You want to know what the family does. Again, this goes back to the fact that we need to understand our identity. 
in Christ Jesus, who is our Jewish Messiah with Jewish disciples and a Jewish Bible and a nation that he chose for himself, that's Israel. We're also going to get into the prophecy where we see that God is going to allow the nations in the midst of him restoring things to come in and attack Jerusalem. And we're watching this pro these prophecies unfold now. So not to get ahead of myself, so I'm going to stay with John chapter 4, verse 22. It says, you Samaritans, and this is Jesus speaking, know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Again, Jesus, our, who actually we need to also learn something else. Yeshua is his original name, his Hebrew name. That's his name. He's our Jewish king returning for his bride, the bride that has made herself ready. And as Gentile believers, we're grafted into this family of God, again, adopted into this original Jewish family, but we're all one new man in Christ. Because the Bible also tells us here in the New Testament that there's neither Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no male, there's no female. Well, I'm still a female. You know, so on this earth, there is a Jew and a Gentile. On this earth, there is a male and a female, but not in the spiritual realm. So in the spiritual realm, when everything is in its fullness, we are one in Christ Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. Worshiping and serving our Lord is what we're supposed to be doing together as we wait on him. You know, we're, we're watching the fulfillment of his word as this stage for the end times is really set before us. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. This is speaking of the Gentiles and our part to play in end times prophecy to help the Jews return. We need to be praying for them. We need to be asking the Lord, how does he want to use us in this time? We need to be tuning into his voice because this is the heart of our father. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land. He's talking about Israel with all of my heart and my soul. Isn't that amazing to see that motion in the scripture where the Lord God almighty maker of heaven and earth is telling us something that moves him to the degree that he's going to do it with all of his heart. You know, we're made in the image of God and we have intense and passionate emotions. And when you do something with all of your heart, because it's the most important thing to you, you're going to put everything you have into this. The one thing that he's vowed to do with his whole heart and soul. Can you hear the emotion and how important that this is to our heavenly father? So here's the message that's relevant to us as we watch things that are moving onto the scene. And we don't know for sure the timing of all of these prophecies, but we are instructed in the word of God to watch. And even in Thessalonians, when it's talking about um, the rapture and, and the things that are going to be happening at, at the end of the age, you know, it says that you are not children of the dark, you're children of the light, that you will not be caught unaware. Well, how is it that you're not going to be caught under unaware? Because it says that to the people in the world, it says that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. They're going to be caught totally unaware. But those that know their God, those who know their scripture, those who listen to the prophetic writings, they're not going to be surprised because he's actually already told us these things and because we're believing them in our heart. So we're not surprised by what's happening. And also Jesus said over and over, you know, to watch, you know, that we, how is it that you can discern the weather? He said to some of the disciples, but you can't discern the times. He's like, you know, you look at the sky and you can say, oh, it's fair today, or here's a red sky and you know, it's going to be a storm. How is it that you can't discern the times? Because if we're listening to the word of the Lord, we'll be able to pay attention to what's going on around us and know where we're at on the clock. We may not know the day or the hour, and that's where people sometimes get confused because Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, but we can sure, sure know the season. And because we know we're in the season, what he has instructed us over and over throughout the New Testament when he was giving us these parables about the end, 
you know, was that we need to be ready. We need to be sure that we don't get caught unaware. You know, he even talks a parable where he says that uh, a lazy, one of his servants began to uh, eat and drink with the drunkards and really just think that his master tarries. And he says that when he came, that he appointed him with the hypocrites where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's serious. You know, we don't need to get, there's no time for sleeping. It's not, it's just time to be paying attention to what's happening. And so here is another message that came to me from the Lord from Ezekiel 38. And I'm actually, that's just part of the scripture that was not, did not come to me personally, but I have read it in Ezekiel 38, but it starts that way. And it says, son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Mesh and Tabul. Mesh and Tabul are modern day Turkey. And the reason that I know this is because when you look at ancient maps, biblical ancient maps that show you what territory that that was in this time of these writings, you can compare it to the map today and what are those nations called today. And so that's where I'm telling you the name, I'm telling you what that territory um, is called today. And so Mesh and Tabal are modern day Turkey. And it says, and prophesy against him, give him this message from the sovereign Lord, Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with your whole army, your horses and charioteers in full armor and a great horde armed with shields and swords. Persia, which is modern day Iran, Ethiopia and Libya will join you too with all their weapons. Gomer, which is modern day Russia and all its armies will also join you along with the armies of Beth Togomar from the distant north and many others. Here's what it says. Get ready. Be prepared. Keep all the armies around you mobilized and take command of them. A long time from now, you will be called into action. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. You and your allies, a vast and awesome army, will roll down on them like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. This is what the sovereign Lord says. At that time, evil thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise a wicked scheme. You will say, Israel is an unprotected and land filled with unwalled villages. I'll march against her and destroy those people who live in such confidence. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder for the people are rich with livestock and other possessions now. They think the whole world revolves around them. But Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish will ask, do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of their silver and gold? Do you think you can drive away their livestock and seize their goods and carry off plunder. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in the future I would bring you against my people? But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down, cliffs will crumble, walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you on all the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. You, your men will turn their swords against each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstone, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to the nations of the world. They will know that I am the Lord. 
This day is coming as well. This is a prophecy. It's the Lord's message about Israel. The Lord spreads out the heavens. He lays the foundation of the earth. He creates the human spirit with a, within a person. He says, Jerusalem will be like a cup in my hand. It will make all the surrounding nations drunk from the wine of my anger. Judah will, will be attacked by its enemies. So will Jerusalem. At that time, all the nations on earth will gather together against Jerusalem. Then it will become like a rock that can't be moved. All the nations that try to move it will only hurt themselves. On that day, I will fill every horse with panic. I will make even rider crazy, announces the Lord. I will watch over the people of Judah, but I will make all the horses of the nations blind. Then the family groups of Judah will say in their hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong. That's because the Lord who rules over all is their God. At that time, Judah's family groups will be like a fire pot in a pile of wood. They will be like a burning torch among bundles of grain. They will destroy all the surrounding nations on every side, but Jerusalem will remain unharmed in its place. I will save the houses in Judah first. The honor of David's family line is great. So the honor of those who live in Jerusalem, but the honor will not be greater than the honor of the rest of Judah. At that time, I will be like a shield to those who live in Jerusalem. Then even the weakest among them will be great, a great warrior like David. And David's family line will be like the angel of the Lord who leads them. On that day, I will, will begin to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. Israel's people will mourn over the one they pierced. I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on David's family line. I will also send it on those who live in Jerusalem. They will look to me. I am the one they have pierced. They will mourn over me as someone mourns over an only child who has died. They will be full of sorrow over me. Their sorrow will be just like someone's sorrow over an oldest son. At that time, there will be a lot of weeping in Jerusalem. It will be as great as the weeping of the people of Hadad Ramon. Hadad Ramon is in the Valley of Megiddo. They were weeping over Josiah's death. Everyone in the land will mourn. Each family will mourn by themselves and their wives by themselves. That will include the family lines of David, Nathan, Levi, Shimei, and all the others. That, that uh, scripture I just read was from Zechariah 12. In Joel, I'm just closing with this scripture and then we'll have a time of discussion. It says, at the time of those events, says the Lord, when I restore the prosperity of Judah and Jerusalem, which has already happened, I will gather the armies of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, for scattering my people among the nations and for dividing up my land. Let the nations be called to arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision. There the day of the Lord will soon arrive. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a strong fortress for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord, your God, live in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy forever and foreign armies will never conquer her again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a great word of the Lord. That is a truthful, great promise of God. It's what we can rest assured in. We can know, we know how this is going to work out, but we also know that scripture has told us that there are things that are coming upon the earth in the last days that the earth has never experienced before. We also know that there's coming a time where it says that the Lord will allow the saints to be overcome by the enemy for a period of time that's been allotted to him for the purposes of the end, but it does not mean that our God is not faithful. He has already told us what to expect. And these are the things that we can put our confident hope in knowing he's faithful and he is true. We know how it ends despite what we go through on the way to getting there. And I think that's the point of tonight's meeting is just to reassure us that it doesn't matter how things look. We know how this turns out. And we also know that we can confidently proclaim the truth. And it's important in this season to be able to proclaim the prophecies, you know, because there's so much of the church 
that doesn't have a clue, you know, because they've not been listening to the prophetic writings of, you know, they've not been in the Old Testament. They've there's many places where it's just old New Testament churches, you know, just just stay there and let's just read the words in red, just all the things Jesus said. But again, I just continue to say we can't understand the New Testament in its fullness. We can't really get it all if we don't understand what was happening from beginning to end. If we don't understand the things that are being spoken of that actually came from the Old Testament and clearly getting there, the fullness of the meaning that's being brought into the New Testament, which also is part of showing us, you know, the scriptures again that say God does not change and Jesus is God. And so this Jesus who has died and is the lamb of God that has sacrificed, was sacrificed for on our behalf and is love and is light, is holiness. He's also God, the father. I and the father, I and the father are one. That's what he said. And, and we know that when he comes again, he says, you know, he didn't come to judge the world. He tells us that in the scripture, he didn't come the first time. It, he didn't come to judge the world. The second time he's coming to judge the world. And he tells us that, that there's coming a day for his wrath and the vengeance of God, you know, and that's what this, the return is, is going to happen at that point, you know? And so we are just getting ready as God's people to receive our King. And that is good news. That is good news. And so I just want to pause here and just give a time of conversation or reflection and just see what's swirling in your hearts or your heads that you might like to share at this point? You know, it, it breaks his heart. Israel is his love. He loves Israel. Loves Israel with, with an everlasting love. but this does not surprise him. And he is angry. And he will fight for Israel. And I believe with my whole heart that every nation will see the glory of God. And everyone will see that only he could do this. That only he could fight and do this. And I believe there will be many miracles. But I'm just so grateful that the Lord has shown us his heart for Israel and that we can stand for Israel at a time like this and pray for her. And um, I don't know, that's just where I am. I've just been uh, trying to hear the Holy Spirit on how to pray because I don't want to pray against God's will. And, um, and that's kind of where I am, but this Bible study, I just appreciate it so much because it was simple, but it was all the points. I'm angry. I didn't see a lot of videos, but some of them, I'm so angry, but thank God we can pray. I can't do anything, but we can pray. Anyway, I just wanted to share God's heart, but he is in control. And thank God we have a mighty God and a warrior. And thank God for his word. So that's all I wanted to say. Chantel, your beautiful, precious heart. Um, what you're, what you're expressing now with all the emotion, um, has been something that's been off and on for me as well. And I know pastor Sylvia, and I'm sure many of you, it's hard to, to see the videos, to see the things that are happening to precious, innocent people. It's just hard to see what's taking place, you know, and yet there's a place to be angry. There is, you know, the Bible says, you know, be angry, but do not sin. So anger, there's a righteous anger in watching these things happen. And it's okay for us to feel that way because it's wrong. And, um, and God is angry for sure. Um, but again, I think just even seeing this and it having to endure the hardships that will come, 
because I think we're in the beginning of whatever is coming upon the earth. Because, you know, the scripture says what is coming for the time of the end, the earth has never experienced it before. And so it tells us, it says, this requires the patient endurance of the saints. So we've got to endure. We can't lose faith. We can't lose heart. We just have to trust him to the end. You know, he who endures to the end will be saved. That's what the scripture says. So we keep, you know, we're in the process of sanctification. We continue pressing forward. We believe God. We declare his word and his promises. And we we pray. We pray. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray when we see these things happen. And I think that's an important thing for us to all be encouraged in as well. We shouldn't just sit and watch it all. We really need to be activated and if we don't have the motivation in our heart to pray, we need to ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, give me that desire, Father. Give me the desire to pray. Put the burden on my heart. It's okay to admit that you don't feel it if you don't feel it. But if you don't feel it, we, we should be asking for that from the Lord because it is what he wants. He wants us to be cooperating in this time. You know, he's, already, he's told us so much about prayer, but pray without ceasing. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You who call in the name of the Lord, do not keep silent. You know, these, they're important times and we, we do have a role to play. And I think, you know, our worship, our praise and our prayer um, are our weapons, especially for this season. Is there anyone else that would like to, to share any thoughts? Thank you, Chantel, for sharing what you did. It is, it is very difficult to see. It's very difficult to watch. It's every, very difficult to even hear. But I think that what we must all understand is that God is even more so than we are. Amen. And he does know exactly what he's doing. In fact, the scripture tells us that he knows the very number of hairs on our head. And that is for everyone that was uh, massacred, the ones that are held hostage. It's for every single person. And what we cannot lose sight of is God is still in control. He's on the throne and he does know the end from the beginning. But I think that it's also to stir us up to believe God for salvation, for people to be saved like never before. Our Jewish brothers and sisters that do not and have not received their Jewish king, their Messiah, Yeshua, but also for the Palestinians who are serving and worshiping other gods, that we pray that they have encounters with him through visions, through dreams, that he shows up while they're crying out in their safe places, the bomb shelters, whatever it may be, because ultimately, what does he want? He wants souls to be saved, and he is willing that he will show up. Not only is he battling for them, but he shows up on the battlefield. You know, when I was in the army, there was an expression because oftentimes we had prophets who said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. But there are no atheists in the foxhole, and that's the bottom line. It is amazing how people find faith. And the very soldiers would start saying Jesus, you know, when something went wrong. So we pray that that happens. God is at work and he is raising up witnesses for him that will stand firm in our faith and share, like Krista said, what the word of the Lord has to say. And saints, I want to, I want to encourage you. This is not a time for us to have our own personal opinions and allow our personal feelings to overrule us. What we must do is agree with God and the word of God. This is the word of God. We stand on the word of God. Amen. Is this uh, comfortable? No. But let us know God is in control and let us be like Job and not say unintentionally or intentionally foolish things when it comes to our God. How do we pray? We pray according to God's will and we pray for the salvation 
of the Jews as well as the Gentiles. We must pray without ceasing. Amen. God wants to use us so that he can pray through us and we pray prayers of faith. Amen. Um, I had a teacher years ago who was a great prophetic teacher and he's passed on, but everything that he had taught us in that class, I will never forget, is coming to fruition now. He was a true man of God. And when I see the things that were happening Saturday morning, when I cut on the news, I had just cut on the news, cut on the TV actually, and the news was on and right then and there saw it, what was going on in in real time. Um, and my heart just went back to those scriptures, um, those things that God has said in his word about, about this time that we're in now. One of the things that we can take away as believers of the Jewish Messiah is that it's, it's our opportunity to speak to our other Christian friends who don't understand our father's love for Israel and don't understand what it means to be grafted in and adopted into, into that, that branch. I, I just want to testify that I, I took my mom to church yesterday and right today's Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, you know, still, dazed and confused and I had been on altar of prayer and and just been praying and I didn't really want to leave but you know we do what we do <laughs> so um I picked her up and I told the pastor I said and I've been having conversations with them as the Lord has, has allowed and I said to him I said Israel is at war and we need to pray and I don't know how you want to talk to your congregation but I just want to encourage you that um, we need to really press in and pray as our Father continues to to move and protect and direct and guide and and everything that He's going to do. And He said, "Okay, let's pray." And literally, it was my, me, my mom, and and um, one of the ushers, and we got on our knees and we were able to pray, and it was just encouraging because so many times I've talked to him and and not felt that he's you know I've been praying for him and and I just had not felt that our father had been moving in his heart and I know he's working in every situation and circumstance but for him to be willing to to just take that moment and and get on his knees with with me um it's just I just want to encourage people take a minute and talk to those around you. And we we may have to lead a charge wherever we are, but be prepared. Amen. And praise the Lord that his heart was soft to, to pray for Israel and to care like that. Um, it made me think of a story my husband just shared with me. He we were had just gotten back on Sunday, so I did not go to church with him. Sunday and he had gone to church and um, he came back and shared that the service, uh, he was really disappointed in what they had shared about Israel because it really wasn't much. And he just basically said that they had, you know, their normal um, topics and so forth, but they didn't even have, you know, at the end, they didn't mention Israel in prayer. And at the beginning they did mention Israel, but they might, he said, basically they just said, you all know what's going on with Israel and you know how it's going to end. So then they basically moved on from there. So it was just very dismissive almost. And so to your point, um, it, it is, you know, it might actually be very important that we as ambassadors of Christ who have been given a revelation, not the whole church is, does not have the revelation of Israel. And so much of the church has been taught replacement theology. And, and really, basically, it's just come very ignorantly because it's come through the generations. Our forefathers of the Protestant faith actually were the ones that created this doctrine that Israel, that the church has replaced Israel. And so all so many seminaries um, throughout the countries, you know, in our country, especially ha you have just really taught that doctrine and, and left Israel out of the equation. And so that being said, it leaves the church, you know, looking at Israel often and not really caring much because it just, there's a disconnect in, um, how Israel fits with the church. 
But um, those of us who who do have the understanding, I believe there's also a responsibility, you know, and I think, you know, the Holy Spirit will lead us. He'll lead us into those conversations. And but when we're given those opportunities, you know, it's all it's also one of the benefits of just meditating on the word, you know, going to these scriptures and reading the prophetic writings so that they're being stored in your heart so that when there is opportunity to help others come along in that revelation, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to do the work. We just have to be the one that's willing to be the vessel and declare the word and and to declare it in gentleness, you know, in gentleness, just, you know, people just sometimes don't know what they don't know. One scripture that I think is a bit profound to get people thinking about the prophecies is Acts 3.21, where, and it's the NLT version of it, I think says it the most plain. And it says that he, meaning Jesus, must remain in heaven until um, the restoration of all things that the prophets spoke of long ago. And so to me, that should make a big question mark if somebody really sits and thinks about that, well, what did the prophets talk about long ago that needs to be restored for Jesus to no longer be needing to remain in heaven? Because he has to stay there until it's time for the restoration of all things. We're in that time. We're in the time of the restoration of all things. And it's a good time, even though it'll be a difficult time, because it's going to usher in the best times. That's really what's to come. You know, and it's just like Paul when he was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and all of the things that we hear that Paul suffered and the disciples suffered. But he, just like Jesus, you know, Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And Paul was very similar in that, you know, he did not set his mind on what was happening here. He set his mind on things above, not things below. No knowing that his inheritance, what was to come, was so much greater. He's counted all of this as filthy rags. He said, you know, this is all just a pile of trash, just a heap. Not, You know, our life is really but a vapor. And so it's like really what's important is that we are getting, uh, that we're being useful for the kingdom because that's what we're called to do. You know, we are laborers in his vineyard. He's given us something. He says we've been entrusted with the gospel. You know, we're entrusted with something. And he says, we're going to give an account. We're going to give an account for every idle word that's been spoken, but we're also going to be given an account. We saw the parable of the talents, you know, he who has been given much, much is required. So again, it's just our stewardship of our life, our stewardship of God's goodness to us, the favor, just our stewardship, you know, um, it just should be something that we, that we have in our heart, you know, that we um, consider not that we're performing because, you know, our works are not earning, we're not earning our salvation. The things we do are simply the fruit, but again, we want to produce fruit. You know, we do, we want to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We want to produce a harvest for the King. And it's really not out of obligation. It's just out of our love and the fact that he's called us to be ambassadors for him. He's called us. And he says, you know, I'm with you until the end of the age. He's with us. He is with us. That is encouraging, you know, that he hasn't sent us out. He says, I'm not going to abandon you like an orphan. That's why I gave us the Holy Spirit. And the thing that's encouraging as we enter into in the end of the age and these times that could be challenging is we've, we've said it before, but it just bears necessity to say it over and over, you know, that those who know their God, the Bible says in that in the last days when things are wicked and the earth is, you know, reeling, those who know their gods will do great exploits, you know, not, you know, basically it just means that they're going to be strong. They're going to be firm and firmly rooted in truth. And God's going to be able to work through them because they're confident in who he is in them because they believe God. And so that's all we just need to we just need to believe the Lord and put all of our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what may come. Hallelujah. Phyllis, shalom, precious sister. I don't know if you're available, but we are here at the top of the hour. And I was just going to ask if you could close us out in prayer. Let us pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for 
our focus tonight of your heart and your heart is, is Israel and your people. Uh, Father, your heart also is, as Pastor Sylvia reminded us, it is salvation for both the Jew and the Gentile. So Father, tonight, as we focus our hearts on your heart, Father, remind us to pray. Father, I'm just reminded of Psalms 122, 7 through 9, where you say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May they be, may there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord of our God, I seek your prosperity. Father, remind us to pray. Father, give us a heart to pray. Father, give us a heart to want to walk in obedience with your word. Father, be with those tonight who are hurting, who are grieving. Father, you tell us to grieve with those who grieve, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. So, Father, just help us to be ever mindful to be in prayer for those who are hurting tonight in in Israel, for the families who are mourning the loss of those who have, who have passed for those who have been, are being held hostage. Father, give them mercy. Father, I pray for mercy for them. I pray that, that they would be released or that the soldiers of Israel would find them and bring them back to their family. Father, for those who are wanting to get out to, to get back to their families, I pray that you would just be with them and show them mercy Father, I thank you for the mercy that you showed me and Krista and Pastor Sylvia in getting out before things began to really get uh, uh, difficult. Lord, thank you for your mercy. You were with us every second, every second, Father, you were with us, holding our hand and watching over us, providing us with, with your protection. Lord, we love you. Just remind us of these scriptures that, that were spoken tonight. Father, your word will never fail it will come to pass every jot and tittle will come to pass so father we just we just praise your name for who you are father for you are mighty you are powerful you are good and father uh you are worthy to be praised father help us remind us that your worship is a weapon it is a weapon father in the old testament often Worship was used as a uh, battlefield strategy. So, Lord, help us remind us to praise your name in the midst of all of this. Lord, we love you, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In your name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.